0: Well, Eric, I hope you weren't... I hope that my sermon's not the cross you have to endure. So, it's really, oh, help us endure this cross. Andrew's going to share. That's okay. I understand. No. Uh, well, we'll see if I can do this. The first time I've facilitated the service and shared the message all at once, so we'll see what happens. You know, halfway through, I might just, you know, kind of melt over. We'll see what happens here can pray for me uh, my message today um, Eric didn't know this we didn't some every once in a while the worship leader and the person bringing the message coordinates but we didn't coordinate this I don't know if you knew what I was even talking about Eric but the uh, song we just sang actually almost uh, pretty much all the songs we sang and what Eric just prayed all fits together uh, I didn't do that I'm pretty sure that was God that that put that together so if you're if you're hearing a theme uh, then I, I think that's the Lord. Well, today, my message, I have a very uh, provocative, strange title, and we'll uh, see if we can this work this is there we go. How do I gain victory in spiritual warfare? How do I gain victory in spiritual warfare? You see, we've all got a really big problem, and that problem, All right, and that problem is spiritual warfare, the problem of spiritual warfare. Now, spiritual warfare, uh, we hear that term a lot, especially if you go to this kind of church, uh, or if you've been going to this kind of church for a while, you hear that phrase a lot, but I'm going to talk about a part of spiritual warfare you don't always hear about, but it's actually the majority of spiritual warfare. When we talk about spiritual warfare, when the Bible talks about it, this is mostly what we're going to talk about what i'm going to talk about today is the majority of spiritual warfare now a lot of us kind of secretly think the the you know the casting out demons part is like the cool part because you know you walk away you feel kind of like a big spiritual buff dude and uh um, kind of secretly like you know wife asks you know oh, how was how prayer tonight oh <laughs> cast out a few demons um you know we would kind of have that sort of you know uh Cavalier bravado about spiritual warfare. That's not the kind of spiritual warfare I'm, I'm talking about. I'm talking about Satan's probably, probably his main way of attacking us most of the time, all right? And you see, Satan's got a, a big gun. Oh, you're doing it. Big gun. And this big gun that he uses against us is uh, the fact that he... Understands and he exploits the treasure principle. The treasure principle. Now, if you've been around Bethel the last couple months, you've heard this phrase a lot. The treasure principle. We spent a long time talking about generosity, and we talked a lot about the treasure principle. What's the treasure principle? Um, it comes from Luke chapter 12. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever your treasure is, that's where you're going to find your heart, your affections, your desires, your yearnings, your hungerings. Um, a, a sort of a maybe a more modern way to say this uh, is you will always enjoy, you will always follow, and you will always obey your treasure, your true treasure. Okay? Not your stated treasure, but your true treasure. So the, the thing you actually see as your source of life, as the key to your welfare, as your, your greatest benefit, that is what you are, whatever that, it might be in your life, that's what you're actually going to follow. And let me give you a couple sort of dramatic examples to illustrate my point. Um, the miser, the person whose treasure is money. The miser does whatever it takes to get more of his treasure money. He works long hours. He sacrifices his sleep, loses sleep over an effort to get more of his treasure. He maybe sacrifices relationships to enjoy more of his treasure. He rearranges his whole life around getting and obtaining more of and then more fully enjoying his real treasure, money. Another dramatic example, uh, the alcoholic. His treasure is alcohol and he does whatever it takes to get more of that treasure, to enjoy that treasure more. And it doesn't matter who gets stomped on in the meantime he is going to get his treasure no matter what, all right? Um, Those are just a few examples. You know, the alcoholic, you talk to most alcoholics, they know it's ruining their life. They know it, and they've tried to stop. They've seen the damage it's done to their family and their friends. They've seen how they've lost maybe everything, but it doesn't matter because they're still after their treasure, okay? That's the treasure principle. Now, there's a couple of dramatic examples some of you might think, well, I'm not a miser. I'm not an alcoholic. I'll give you an example from my life, an apparently innocent treasure. Um, I've been struggling a lot lately with uh, one of my treasures, which is external peace and quiet. I like it when things are calm, when things are quiet, when things are peaceful on the outside. I like that a lot. My soul likes that. I see that. As My treasure and sometimes I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get more of that treasure Even if I'm grouchy at my kids who sometimes are the enemy of that treasure I will do what it takes to get more of that treasure apparently innocent treasure right peace and quiet. That's not you know Alcoholism it's not cocaine addiction. It's not you know, whatever uh, but but that's how The treasure principle works and most of us have a whole cluster of treasures that we're seeking after, okay? That's the treasure principle. Now, uh, like I said earlier, just keep that up there, like I said earlier, Satan knows this. He knows God made us this way, and he uses it to his advantage. You see, what Satan's always doing, his main line of attack, is to make false offers of happiness through the pursuit of alternate treasures. He always is making... False offers of happiness through the pursuit of of alternate treasures. In other words, Andrew, you're going to be happy if you chase after this treasure, peace and quiet, in your life. You're going to be happier if you chase after that than if you chase after God. Okay? So, and he kind of has a two-pronged strategy. Um, The first one is he glamorizes or glorifies any alternate treasure that's going to distract us from God. Any alternate treasure. It, and, and he doesn't really care what treasure it is. You know, it might be something dramatic like cocaine addiction. It might be something apparently innocent. Uh, like in my case, my desire for external peace and quiet. Okay? And he doesn't really care what hooks us. He, he'll do whatever it takes to hook us. But he's always making these offers. Always just adding a little bit of shine to these alternate treasures where we start thinking, yeah... I probably would be happier if I had a little more of that in my life. That probably would satisfy my soul a little bit better than my soul is currently satisfied right now. The second prong of his strategy is that he simultaneously casts doubt on the real treasure, God. He 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 he's been doing this from the very beginning. If you if you go back to third chapter of Genesis, he said he said to Eve did God really say that? Did he really and you know he doesn't come right out and call God a liar. He just casts a little little hint of doubt on the real treasure God. And he, he just he wants to make it look just a just diminish its shine and its glory just a little bit and then shine up this alternate treasure just enough to get our attention, our heart affection, away from our real treasure God and, and hunting after this alternate treasure. And, uh, of course, there's, there's terrible consequences for that, uh, terrible results. Um, uh, the first result of that is that... you uh, It's easy to betray God with your sin. And what I mean by that is, you know, it's hard to betray God with your sin... When he's looking all glorious and beautiful, and you're just caught up in worship, and you're just so amazed at him, Um, and then everything else, you know, he he has this tendency to outshine all these other treasures. That's hard to betray God. Then it's easy to to betray God when everything else looks just a little bit shinier, and the real treasure looks a little more dull and lackluster. All right. So that's the first thing. It becomes easy to betray God with your sin. The second thing that happens is, is we get sucked into this vicious sort of self-perpetuating cycle of sin and shame we, we sin against god we feel so bad about it, we're so embarrassed about it that we don't want to go back to god and ask him to cleanse us and forgive us like he's promised to freely do over and over and over again and 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 so then it becomes even easier the next time to betray god and so on it's the cycle self-perpetuating cycle over and over again um, the third thing uh, third consequence is that others both christians and non-christians they won't be enticed to Christ through you. They won't find Jesus more beautiful in their eyes through you, okay? What I mean by that is, you know, uh, if, if Jesus is our, is our real treasure and all ministry is really just sort of calling people back to the real treasure, whether they, whether they know that treasure yet or not, um, people aren't going to see you as a, as a conduit for that, when you uh, keep betraying God with your sin, you know non-Christians when they're when they're like, "Gosh, I'm I'm ready to start wrestling with this whole God thing. I, where do I go?" They're not going to think about you uh, as someone uh, who has a river of living water coming out of their heart uh, if if you're um, if you're not treasuring Christ at the same time. And Christians will think. You know, well that you know that person also doesn't have those rivers of living water coming out of them, so they're not going to think about you either. So that's a, that's a third consequence. People won't be enticed to Christ through you uh, when you you uh, get your eyes off the real treasure and onto some alternate treasure. Now this whole treasure principle thing gets really tricky if you're a mature Christian. It gets really tricky um, because see the difference between the real and the counterfeit treasures, they appear much harder to distinguish if you're a mature Christian. And, and, uh, you know, Satan, he's not going to try to tempt you with cocaine addiction. Again, he just he knows that's not going to work. It's too too dramatic. Your guard is up against that. You're not going to fall for it. (laughs) He knows that. So, what he's going to try to do and what he does with mature Christians, he just tries to get your eyes off of Uh, God himself and onto something that's really close to God, but not quite God, okay? He tries to get your eyes off of of God himself and and wants you to look at something near God, but that's not actually God, all right? He does this in all kinds of ways. Um, One is he tries to get us to love the worship experience more than loving the God who we worship. Anyone ever been caught up into that you know it's, it's great to be swept away in the whole experience and here at bethel it is it's a great experience you know we don't just sit there in our pews and you know we get up and you know we were dancing this morning and clapping and it was great experience but loving the worship experience more than the god to whom we worship is a danger for mature christians another is loving the pleasures of prayer more than loving the god whom we we pray to uh, And, uh, you know, if, if you haven't yet uh, Tasted or experienced the, the pleasure of prayer Being exalted into the presence of God in prayer it's You know, it, you can't, can't compare that pleasure To anything on earth It's so wonderful And yet, some, sometimes we get caught up in the pleasure of that uh, More than the one to whom we're, we're praying to uh, Another one is uh, this is, gets really subtle, loving the Bible more than loving the God revealed in the Bible. Now, this gets really subtle because we're supposed to love the Bible. It's our main source book. It's our uh, main revelation, clearest, most straightforward revelation of God. And yet, sometimes people get caught up into loving the Bible and reading the experience of reading the Bible more than the one revealed in the Bible. It's very subtle. Um, another one is loving the, all the, the Christian subculture and its benefits more than loving the one who's the center of this culture. Um, and this gets you know, and that's easy to do because if if you're in a healthy uh, church like Bethel, you, you you experience the benefits of people loving you, people taking care of you, people watching out for you, providing for you. It's a beautiful thing, but it's easy to love all that more than loving the one it's all about. Um, another very subtle one, this is, this is really hard in Bethel since we say every, every member here is a minister, loving ministry more than the God to whom we, we minister. Loving all that activity, that ministry activity, more than loving the one uh, to whom we minister. Another tricky one, loving our holy habits of life more than loving the God uh, for whom we live those habits. We, we live holy habits for God, but sometimes the very habits themselves can sort of sweep us away and, and, and get us caught up, get our eyes off of the real God. Um, and this, this one, even this one, loving our apparently Christian-based political causes more than loving the God who controls the political scene—that's um, pretty easy for Christians to do. So, in short, to sum all of this up, it's loving anything, even godly, good, religious things. More than loving God Himself, it's loving anything, even the apparently innocent things, the good things. So spiritual warfare is tricky business. And now that I've depressed you all, oh, that's hopeless. Andrew, thanks. Um, It's actually not hopeless. There's actually a very simple victory, a very simple victory. And the victory is to use the treasure principle against the devil. Use the treasure principle against the devil. How do we do it? By treasuring the Lord. Okay. God made us to be motivated by the treasure principle. Means we can't help but follow what our real treasure is. And uh, Satan knows that. He's always trying to sidetrack us, get us off uh, with some alternate treasure. Solution is simple. Treasure the Lord. Turn back to the Lord, exercise your faith in him as the real treasure. The miser is always exercising his faith that money is his real treasure. Even when money betrays him and ruins his life, he still exercises his faith in money as his real treasure. The alcoholic, you know, against all evidence, keeps exercising his faith that alcohol Is his real treasure okay Uh, this is how God made us to work treasure the Lord remind yourself of why God is treasure worthy go back and rehearse all the reasons in Scripture and there's hundreds and hundreds of reasons in Scripture why God is worth your treasuring why he's worth having you make him your ultimate treasure Go back and, and rehearse, who, who is this God, this, the one who created everything with a word, the one who holds up everything with a mere word, the one who has all authority and power, who runs the whole show and is in control of everything, the one who, um, who has, there, there are no obstacles to what he wants to do. His enemies can't hinder or thwart him. The one who, the very core of his being, he's, he abounds in loving kindness. That's who he is. He's worthy of your treasure. Go back and remind yourself of those those reasons why he's worthy. Now, some of you might be wondering, okay, that's interesting, Andrew, but you haven't even looked at Scripture yet. Is this even biblical, what you're telling us? Um, Well, I want to take you back to the most famous uh, piece, uh, the most famous scene of spiritual warfare in the whole Bible. Uh, If you want to turn with me to... Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4. This is the famous scene when Jesus was led into the desert and was tempted um, to betray his father. So we're just going to read this through. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Pretty obvious. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God... Tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. we're going to go through the three temptations briefly, and I want you to pay attention to how Satan uses the treasure principle and how Jesus uses the treasure principle right back at him. All right? So, and we can actually take this as a model for how we need to respond when attacked by Satan. All right? So, Satan's first temptation in verse 3, Satan's bait, tell these stones... To become bread. Um, uh, Here's the treasure principle at at, at its most basic level. Jesus was hungry. What do you do when you're hungry? What do you do when you're exhausted and weak from hunger? You eat. All right. And so Satan was using the fact that his body was yearning for food to try to get him to think about uh, some other treasure than God himself, okay? And it's kind of like Satan said to uh, Jesus, um, you know, God's will for you, Jesus, to fast for 40 days, it's unsatisfactory, it's unfulfilling, it's not going to get wh- where you need to go. Just display your power and satisfy your cravings, and you're going to be okay. Um, and uh, Satan first casts some doubt on God's will. He says, if you are the Son of of man just like he's always doing with us casting some doubt on the real treasure and uh, uh but notice jesus has come back here man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of god now does anybody know he's quoting from the old testament anybody know where he's quoting from he's quoting from deuteronomy very good and Does anyone know who's speaking in deuteronomy? anyone read Deuteronomy lately or anyone know who the speak Moses yeah, Moses. So it's the end of forty years of wandering in the wilderness. Moses gathers the Israelites together and he he uh, tells them the law all over again and gives them a few reminders and we're going to go back to the this uh, keep you here for a minute. We're going to go back to this context of Jesus's quote. pay attention to this. here's the quote Jesus. The context of Jesus's quote. Moses says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these forty years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of god okay so here god through moses is telling the israelites the reason you were you were hungry in the wilderness is so you would learn this lesson you don't live on bread alone you live on every word that comes from the mouth of god that's your real source that's your real treasure that's the real satisfaction and sustenance for your whole being Is the word of the Lord that comes out of his mouth. That's your real treasure. That's what you're supposed to learn in the wilderness when you're hungered, when you're when you're made hungry and you're humbled down to your your bare minimum. Now the Israelites didn't get that. They failed miserably at that. But Jesus did. So when Satan came to him and said, Turn these stones into bread, and Jesus responded with this quote. He's, in effect, saying to Satan, No, Satan, I'm going to get this lesson that my father wants to teach me. The Israelites failed to get it. They didn't learn the lesson, but I'm going to. And I'm going to accept the lesson. I'm going to receive the lesson, and I'm going to learn by it. And you know, you know what, Satan? I, I, I'm going to believe, even though my body is yearning with hunger right now, I'm going to believe that my real sustenance, my real strength is every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, okay? And that's what we need to do when Satan comes to us and says, this other treasure, this other uh, prize, this other thing is going to satisfy your hungers, the hungers of your soul, better than God could satisfy you. It's, it's, you're going to be more fulfilled, more satisfied if you do this than if you pursue God. When, when, when I am feeling like I'm not getting enough of my treasure, peace and quiet, I, I, um, that's when Satan comes to me and says, you know, Andrew, you've got to pursue that treasure, peace and, and quiet, if you want to be happy, if you want to be fulfilled. And how I need to respond is, no. No. That's not what I live on. I don't live on that bread, peace and quiet. That's not my real sustenance. My real sustenance is every word that comes from the mouth of God. Okay? That's how we need to respond when we're in battle with Satan. The second temptation. Here's Satan's bait. He's using the treasure principle again. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written... He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift up your up they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now this one scares me because Satan is quoting the word of God. He's quoting scripture. And that really does something to my brain cuz I'm like Wow, that, that, how am I supposed to tell the difference? This is, you know, when is it Satan quoting scripture to me? When is it God quoting his own word to me? I, you know, this really confuses me. Um, and uh, b- before I get to figuring that out, um, look at how, um, well, look at this is the treasure principle once again. Because um, what Satan is doing is you're, you're going to be happier if you just get that sense of security for yourself. Uh, by casting yourself down and knowing God's going to take care of you, all right? He's using that treasure principle once again. And, uh, but, but notice uh, here how Satan is using Scripture. He's quoting Scripture out of its context. He's lifting it out of the context it's supposed to be in. Does anyone know what this is from, what Scripture this quote is from? It's in Psalms. Uh, No, there's 91. 91. Yeah, the one I read just a little bit ago. All right, I read you the whole thing. But um, Satan is quoting from that psalm, and Christians have loved that psalm for centuries. We just think that's the the greatest. It's a great psalm. It's fabulous. Um, So he's quoting Psalm 91 here, but he's doing it out of context. And this is really important. If we're going to gain victory in spiritual warfare, look at how he quotes um, uh, out of context. You see, in Psalm 91, there are a series of conditions that we must fulfill if we expect to have this sort of protection to our soul. Um, if we look at the first condition, verse 1, it says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. The rest in the shadow, that comes from dwelling, actively living with God, being close to God. Whenever you see this, this uh, poetic form in Scripture, dwelling with God, it means to be with God, to be close to God, to be intimate with God, to be near God. All right. So it's, it's basically saying whoever is near God, whoever stays close to God, whoever, whoever stays hooked up with God, they will rest. Okay. That rest is for those who stay close to God. The next condition, in verse 9, if, condition, very clear condition, if you make the most high your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you, no disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you. So, and the rest is the quote that Satan uses. All right. So what Satan did was he took that quote out of the context, the condition of if you make the most high your dwelling. Once again, If you stay close to God, if you are connected with him, if you are intimate with God, then you can draw on that promise. And a third one in there, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him, in verse 14. So God set up these conditions in Psalm 91, and the conditions are intimacy with the Lord. And what Satan's trying to do is get Jesus to step outside of those conditions of intimacy with the Lord and still draw on the promises. You see? So, and this is really tricky because Satan's trying to get Christians to do this kind of stuff all the time. Step outside of intimacy with the Lord, distance themselves from the Lord, and still draw on those promises. Now, what's tricky about this, when I use the word condition, people get scared because they think I mean like, Earning God's favor—that's not what I mean at all. Um, something can be conditional and still be undeserved, unearned, unmerited. So, for example, if I say I'm going to fly in an airplane down to San Diego, um, I'm, 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 there's a condition there. I have to to get to San Diego. I have to be in the airplane, but somebody else may have paid for the ticket. So, in in that way, there's a condition, but somebody else fulfilled it for me. So in the same way, there's no earning or or meriting or deserving this condition of of being close to the Lord. God does that. That's God's work too. That's a free gift from him also. Um, But it's still something that has to happen. That, That has to be the context of calling on the promises of God is that intimacy with the Lord. All right. So, that's what Satan was trying to get Jesus to do. Step outside of that intimate relationship with the Father and still draw on the promises. Um, But look at how Jesus comes back at him. Oh, uh, back one. Yep. Um, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. What's interesting about this, this is also a quote from Moses in Deuteronomy. And... Uh, I won't go over this, go back and look at the whole thing, but when Moses said this he was rebuking the Israelites, because the Israelites had been saying um, they'd been grumbling, if you've read the story you know about it they'd been grumbling and one of the grumbling uh, things they, they kept saying is is the Lord really with us? is the Lord really with us? is the Lord really with us? They just kept, you know, grumbling like that. Is the Lord really with us? And as they, they were grumbling that way, um, uh, in the Scripture, in the Old Testament, God and Moses call that putting the Lord to the test. They, they, they name that as, when you grumble like that, is the Lord really with us? They're, they name that as putting the Lord to the test. Okay? So when Jesus comes back with this, Do not put the Lord your God to a test. What he's he's saying here, you know, Satan is saying, come on, Jesus, if God's really with you, you can cast, you can throw yourself down and he'll keep you from being hurt, all right? If God's really with you, if you're the son of God, if, if, all right? And Jesus, by quoting this, is saying, you know what, Satan, God is with me. God is with me, even though my body is famished. Um, I... I, and, and I feel so weak, and, and I've been in the wilderness 40 days. God is with me. I believe Him. So don't don't try to test whether or not God's with me or not. He's with me, and that's how we have to respond when Satan comes. And is God really with you? Is God, is, did God really say? Are you really? Is, are you really Christian? Did God really say? Are you really? You know, when Satan's doing that to us, that's when we need to respond with, "Don't put the Lord your God to a test. He is with me. He is with me." All right? Third temptation. Here's Satan's bait. And third temptation. Uh, all this, verse 9, all this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. All this being the, the nations. Um, and, and I, I want to point this out. This is, this is kind of interesting here. Jesus was going to earn not earning, Jesus was going to get the nations anyway. He was going to get all the kingdoms of the world, right? But he was going to be given them by the Father, and he was going to receive them after what? You know anything about Scripture? What's supposed, What does he have to go through first? He has to go through the cross first. Okay? Jesus has to go through the cross before the Father gives him the nations. And here Satan is Using the treasure principle, this beautiful reward of the nations. Ooh, the nations, they can be all yours for just, you know, a little bowing down and worshiping. It's all yours. Satan's trying to give him this treasure of the nations that God was Jesus was going to get him anyway, but Satan wanted Jesus to get them by stepping, once again, outside of the Father's will. All right? He was trying to, if if he would just bow down and worship Satan, he wouldn't have to face the cross. People would like him. He wouldn't, you know, be uh, rejected and betrayed by his own people and beat up. Um, if, if, uh, if he would just bow down and worship, he would, uh, Satan, he'd get those nations now. And you know what? Satan tries to do that with us. We have this reward of God himself before us. And Satan is always trying to get us to step outside of the cross to self, the death to self we must go through to be able to receive that reward. Uh, always wants us to step outside of the Father's will for us in order to get that reward, and and He's using the treasure principle once again. So, like I said, we've got to fight off Satan with the treasure principle. Look how Jesus used the treasure principle. Worship the Lord your God and Him only. And you might think, how's that the treasure principle? Well. Whatever you worship is your real treasure. You, you, you will worship your real treasure. The miser worships his money. The alcoholic worships his alcohol. I have, very embarrassed say this, struggled with worshiping peace and quiet. All right? You, you will worship your real treasure. And so by saying this, Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Um, God is my real treasure. No matter what cross I must go through, no matter what annihilation I must go through, death to self I must go through, in the meantime, God is my real treasure, and I will worship him and him alone. Okay? And that's how we need to come back when Satan comes with, ooh, look at this bright, shiny reward that could be yours if you just step outside of God's will, if you could just if you just avoid the cross he has for you, if you just avoid that death to self he has in store for you, you get this, woo, this shiny treasure. Um, and uh, we need to respond with, no. Worship the Lord, your God, and him only. That's how we, that's how we gain victory in spiritual warfare. So in short, to sum it all up, um, we need to fight off Satan like Jesus did with the treasure principle. Satan knows we operate by the treasure principle. He comes at us with the treasure principle. That's how God made us. Tries to make something look beautiful and shiny, more beautiful and shiny than, than God himself, Cast doubt on God. Um, and the, the victory in spiritual warfare is to deny that and say, no, I will treasure the Lord. I, I, I will believe the Lord is my treasure. And, you know, that's hard. It can be hard at times for all of us what we need to do is start exercising our faith in the preciousness of the real treasure when the miser starts doubting if his treasure is really a treasure he goes back and reminds himself of all of its benefits all of its rewards how crisp and clear and green and nice smelling it is when it's in his hands Um, The the alcoholic goes back and reminds himself of all the wonderful times he's had with alcohol, all the benefits he's gained from it, all the smell, everything else is so pleasant and wonderful. Go back and remind yourself of the preciousness of the real treasure, God. Go back and rehearse those truths. This is the God of the universe uh, who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. The God who keeps faith, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, the God who has no, um, there, there's no one who can compare to him in his preciousness and his worthiness to be praised. Go back and rehearse those things to your soul. Remind yourself of those things when Satan comes to you and tries to use the treasure principle against you. Now, we've all got to do this. If, if you have already, if you're already a Christian, you need to exercise your faith in the preciousness of of Jesus the real treasure and you need to exercise it all the more vigorously as you keep walking with Jesus. But I don't want to assume that everyone in this room already knows Jesus. Some people here don't know him yet, and what I mean by that, you know you, you know you don't know him yet if he's not your real treasure. If he's not your real treasure yet, then you don't you don't know him yet. And so an invitation for you this morning is if he if he's not your treasure, you can embrace him as your treasure this morning. He said, I don't care, you know, I'm paraphrasing, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, no matter how awful you've been to me in the past, here's an open, free invitation for anybody to come back and embrace me as his treasure. Jesus has made that invitation for all of us in this room, and it's very, very simple. The Bible's really clear how it goes. It's to repent and to believe. Repent and simply means to turn away from all your old treasures. It might be something dramatic like cocaine addiction, alcohol addiction, miserliness. It might be something dramatic like that. It might be something really subtle, like always having to be in control, or always having to have peace and quiet, or I don't know. It might be something really subtle and quiet like that that other people don't even know is a sin. Turn away from all those treasures that keep telling you, we're your real bread, we're your real sustenance. Say, no, man does not live by bread alone. Turn to Jesus. Believe him to be your real treasure. Embrace him. Jesus, all the things my heart has been longing for forever will be satisfied in you alone. Turn to Jesus and embrace him as your real treasure. That's the very simple way to be reconciled to God. Repent from all your false treasures and believe or embrace the real treasure. All right? And that's um, the message for today. As the this uh, the worship team does this last song, you know, I want to invite you to take a moment, before you leave, before you rush off, just ask yourself, Holy Spirit, search me. Are you my real treasure? Have I made you my... Am I, have I been treasuring you above all others lately? Are you my real treasure? Um, ask God that. And and ask him to search you. You can do it quietly in your seat. Sometimes it's helpful to come kneel before the altar. And if you don't know God yet, now's the opportunity. Don't delay. Don't delay making Jesus your real treasure. We have no idea how much longer we have in this life. It could be minutes, could be years, could be decades. We don't know. Don't delay making Jesus your real treasure right now, repenting of all your false treasures and turning and embracing the real treasure. So...